Good morning and happy Sabbath. Our Old Testament scripture reading is taken from Isaiah 45, verses 18 through 25, and it's found on page 674 in your pew Bibles. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I the, Lord, I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that, excuse me, that they set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me a just God and a savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn myself by myself the word is gone out of, the, out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength, even to him shall, I, <clears throat> shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. And the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and show glory. Our New Testament reading is found um, in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 12 through 14. Also, I believe it's in the Pew, Pew Bible, uh, Pew Book 1065. I'm reading from the New International Version. <clears throat> What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Our theme remains family. Uh, if you take the front sheet of your bulletin, we have some more words to play with. Words are such wonderful things. And every week I'm afraid that the East German judge is going to give me the thumbs down on some of these words and likely will. But it's fun nevertheless to put this together. <laughs> How many of you are old enough to know what I mean when I reference the East German judge? Oh, thank goodness, five of us or so. All right, well that goes back to an Olympics in which the U.S. women's gymnastics team should have won a gold and thanks to an East German judge, they did not. So, anyway. If you look at this, you find family, of course. At least I hope you do. I'm looking now. Maybe it's not there today. But we find I is for integrity. That's in there. And I is for intelligence. So if you look here, you see integrity and intelligence. And I'm really proud of this one, interdependence. I think if I'd put that in the right spot, I could have gotten two triple letter word scores on that one, or three, which would have just been pretty amazing. 
Um, I is for insight. So these are some of the good words that we have about family life. I think integrity is what we're going to explore today, but interdependence should be obvious. Families exist because the sum of the whole is greater than the parts. And so interdependence allows us through specialization, through relationship, through connectedness to do what we cannot do alone. Intelligence is important on a variety of levels. First of all, there's just the raw fact that we have brains and brain power and we bring that to the table in our families and elsewhere. But intelligence can also be understood in the sense of knowing. That is to say, knowing. I uh, find that sometimes people have very high IQs and say very interesting and amazing things and they're completely clueless because they don't have any EQ at all. They have no emotional intelligence. None. And it really takes a combination of the two for us to know. Insight is that capacity we have to correctly for at least a split second see ourselves and hopefully to understand better another. And certainly in the context of this family, in this church, to have some insight into the Word of God who's the Father of all. Words like good always belong with family, I believe. I've put a word like sure in there. It could have been surety, it could have been uh, any of those, but I'm using that in the sense of confidence. Um, that, that this is what God has, has called us to. I liked the word or, if you can see that one there on interdependence, because sometimes we have to work pretty hard for the or. Uh, we have to mine pretty deep to find the or that we're looking for in the relationships that we have here, but it's there. And that or could be, uh, is likely a precious metal. We, we sometimes have to work for the gold, in other words. Easy is the one I think the East German judge is going to toss out, but it allowed me to go for zeal. And that's that same word Jesus uses, zeal for thy house has consumed me, meaning he was zealous or very, very passionate about his father's house. And in that particular case, it had to do with it becoming something other than a house of prayer. In our case, zeal should be for this family and for this house which is one among many. We live in this connection and association. We aid one another. Hopefully it's a joyful thing. We achieve clarity. Iron sharpens iron. Clarity in the word of God and clarity about our calling as we interact with one another. There's hopefully love in the family. I put year because it was a freebie in there and has, that was a freebie too, but rub. Now, that's something we ought to do occasionally with permission to one another's shoulders. And uh, uh, Peter's excellent at that. He's just really got that down. I, every now and then he comes up and helps me to loosen up just a tad. And I think anybody who knows me knows that occasionally that's definitely in order. Well, that about covers it. Oh, awe. I like that one at the very top. Hopefully, as we're together, we experience a little bit of awe and wonder. That is at the essence of the religious experience. And a family ought to have a religious experience both in its nuclear state and in its connected state as we experience here. So hopefully you can have some fun with those words. Now, 
Today's passages meant to include the word integrity because that's kind of the theme I'm driving at. And I won't be long-winded about this, but integrity is something that talks about the capacity of something to hold to itself. You hope that your automobile has integrity as you drop down, as you drive down the freeway. You hope that as you're passing somebody, you don't leave the transmission on the road behind you. You hope, as you've seen cars on the side of the road, that your wheel doesn't collapse and buckle and fall off. You hope that your vehicle has integrity. We look for people of integrity when we hire people. And generally, we're looking for someone we perceive to be honest, who will do what they say they will do, who has the credentials and capacities that they claim that they have. We're looking for somebody whose walk matches their talk, so to speak. Integrity is in many ways the opposite of hypocrisy. And that's the age-old accusation against the church. Only people who claim something are at all uh, in a position to be charged with this. See, if I say to you, I believe nothing, uh, that's your, your belief, I, I value nothing, that's your value, uh, anything goes in my world, then integrity for me doesn't look like much. And there's no way you can accuse me of hypocrisy unless, of course, I all of a sudden start deeply caring about something and going, you after, going after you for it. The charge of hypocrisy comes when we make a claim about our belief system or our desires, our actions, our morality, and we are only acting at that. We fail to live up to that. So I thank God we have the opportunity to be called hypocrites because at least we are declaring something. We stand for something. But so much better to be able to walk with integrity. And I've said that several different ways already, uh, trying to explain that. There's also integrity in the sense of that which is consonant, that's another word I would use. Resonant, that's another word I would use. That which has uh, an internal cohesiveness, I think I've already used that one. There's a, a word um, that I'm, I'm, I'll pull up later. Congruity, it's a mathematical term and it's technically not supposed to be used the way I use it. And a lot of people use it. But it's uh, a term that helps us understand our alignment. We should be in alignment with our purposes and goals, our values and beliefs in our daily living. That's integrity. But human integrity, like human righteousness, doesn't have much to stand on. A Judeo-Christian understanding of the world and of humanness means that, among other things, we are not able to keep from harming others unintentionally. And because of our nature and our feelings, we do on occasion harm others intentionally. 
That is to say that as human beings, we're born without the capacity to fulfill God's law. We're not naturally oriented to God and his purposes in our lives and his love for us. That's the first phase. So we're not in harmony with loving God supremely. And because we are raised or, or born of necessity to develop what Freud would call an ego, a sense of self, we tend, if that's not checked and, and raised properly, to be people who allow that to occasionally go overboard. And I becomes the center of our universe and we treat others badly in accord with that. In other words, it's very difficult for us to love our neighbors as ourselves intrinsically. We aren't hardwired for that. We're hardwired to take care of ourselves, to achieve as much as possible our own goals, ambitions, to satisfy ourselves. People call that all kinds of things. We understand that to be sin. It's that violation of one another and of God's ideal role in our lives that places us in this position in which we don't naturally have integrity. That's a gift from God. Because the one who called us to loving himself supremely, the one who loves us supremely, who gave himself for us completely, the one who was willing, as you know the story, to live and breathe among us, to die on our watch, to bring salvation to us. This one has integrity. And in the family of God, that becomes an ideal. That becomes a purpose, that becomes a focus. Our psalm today, and I would invite you to turn to Psalm 25, our psalm today talked a little of this. And many things else, but I do love it. In fact, psalms and songs are written of this, of course. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. That's the King James. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. How many of you know a song based on this? Oh, Lord. Okay. I got so much work to do, I can't believe it. <laughs> I will uh, never go out of business, it appears. <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Let's just break that out for a second. When we talk about congruity, walking and traveling in the direction that he would have us walk or travel, according to the values that he has given us, he is the one who shows the way, who gives us the path, who guides us in it, who teaches us in it. 
He's the one who saves us from the deviations we ourselves would pursue. It's the one because of his gift in whom we have hope. Remember, Lord, your mercy and love, for they are from old. Don't remember the sins of my youth, my rebellious ways, but according to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. I doubt any of us have prayed the prayer that particular way. But in the lower moments of our lives, in those uh, angrier places in our souls, or those hurt or crying out places in our souls, in moments of anguish when we've recognized how truly flawed we might be or how deeply we really hurt another, it shouldn't be surprising that our hearts would cry out, remember, Lord, your mercy and your love. Good and upright is the Lord. He instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what's right. And it goes on, praising God. Who then, verse 12, are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They'll spend their days in prosperity because, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who feared him and makes his covenant known. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for he will release my feet from the snare. There's freedom here. Freedom and promise. That's all the psalmist is saying. In the way of the Lord is freedom and promise. And he entreats the Lord once again, turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away my sins. See how numerous my enemies are and how they hate me. Ever experienced that? It's in language we don't relate to, but it is sentiment that we do. We have a phrase, I will not say it, you know it, I am up to my blank in alligators. Right? Are you asleep? <laughs> that is what the psalmist wrote right here. Verse 19, I'm up to my blank in alligators. Those are dinosaurs and I don't do Florida or Louisiana. <laughs> Verse 21, may integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope, Lord, is in you. When life is tough, when we're surrounded by challenges and threats and difficulties, when we've got our own problems internally within our soul, there is two things the psalmist is talking about here the goodness and grace of the Lord and his integrity in his act toward us. What does that mean? God's <clears throat> desire for you is nothing but good. His intention toward you is nothing but good. That's what that means. Nothing but good. Because of his integrity and constancy in that, God always reaching to us out of a desire for us and a love for us. That's what the psalmist is talking about. 
That's what we rely on. And the second thing it's talking about is God's integrity in that and the way in which that translates into integrity in us. <coughs> my righteousness is not my righteousness, is it? It's God's righteousness. My integrity is the integrity God brings to my life. That capacity to hold internally consistent in loving him supremely and my neighbor as myself. And when I fail at those things, it's because I've chosen to step out of his integrity. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. It's a great word. It's, uh, in its abbreviated form, a great car, too. Those of you. Acura chose well when it named its car the Integra. They drive forever. They work forever. They last well. Our next text was Isaiah. Was it not? 45. And again, in poetic language that largely we cannot relate to. Because we don't speak this way anymore. We don't uh, think in terms of these ways anymore. Unless you're an English lit person or something along that line. We just don't. But if we can bear with the language for a minute in Isaiah 45, there's something powerful said. This is what God says, and by the way, here's why you should listen. He's the one who created the heavens. He's God. He's the one who made the earth, who founded it, who formed it to be inhabited. He's God. This is his declaration. I am the Lord and there is no other. And what that means simply is, I am. I am the ground of your very being. I don't hide. I don't speak in secret. I've not told you to look for me so that you might be disappointed. I tell you the truth. And I speak what is true and right. Gather and come. Assemble. Fugitive, ignorant, doesn't matter. Idolaters, those of you who pray to gods who can't save. Let's put that in contemporary terms. Those who prior, whose priorities are all askew. Who don't know up from down. Who don't know what's eternal and what's temporal. Temporal. Declare what it is to be. Present it. Take counsel. Who foretold everything from distant past? Was it not I? There's none apart from me. I am a righteous God and Savior. And again, there is nobody but me. That's powerful. Turn and be saved. Again, for I am God and there's no other. I have sworn by myself. My mouth is uttered in integrity. Don't you love it? That's a recapitulation of what is said up above. 
I speak the truth and declare what is right. I have spoken in all integrity a word that won't be revoked. Here's the truth. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. They will say of me in the Lord alone our deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. What does Israel mean? Jacob wrestled with God and was given a new name, Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Who are the descendants of those who wrestle with God? Is this the Jews alone? Jews and the Gentiles grafted in with them. It is the whole of the tree of humanity. It is God's desire to reach and save all. And he declares that this is for all. All will find deliverance. All of us, if we're to boast, will boast in him because of his integrity. I think if you went through and you counted carefully and you looked at this, you would find multiple places where it's affirmed the identity of who is speaking, that is to say the one who made all that is, the one who is and was before it, and the ground of all being. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Doesn't matter how you say it. We're talking about the one beside whom there is no other. Through whom, through whose integrity we have salvation. And what that means is we find our integrity. We find our hope. We find our deliverance. We find our freedom because he will set us free from the snare. That which we can't avoid ourselves. The fundamental dilemma is solved in God's integrity. Think about that. Our last text was 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Apologies, Lee, I think we gave you the wrong one. I think you read from 1 Corinthians uh, 1. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 1 and take a look at that passage. 2 Corinthians 1, 12 to 14. Paul wrote letters to Corinth. Some scholars think as many as four. He was severe with Corinth, pointing out many of their flaws and problems. And he is defensive with Corinth because apparently it was not a city that freed him from all criticism. So Paul writes them this letter and tries to soften things up a bit. 
tries to help them understand. He hasn't come to take anything from them. He's come to deliver to them the good news of the God of integrity, the God of all comfort, the God of salvation. And he gets to verse 12 and he says, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Doesn't that beautifully put together the themes I've been talking about? Our integrity derived from God's integrity. And as he lived that out in the community in Corinth, he wasn't boasting in himself, but he was saying, if there's anything I can say to you, I lived God's integrity among you. It wasn't there for myself. I was loving God supremely and I was loving you, my neighbor, as myself. That's what Paul is saying. And I hope that if you, as you have understood us partially, you'll come to understand us fully so that you can boast of us just as we boast of you in the name, excuse me, in the day of our Lord Jesus. That's a really cool thing to say because it goes to the heart of family. You want to see a really strong family? It's not just a family where the parents love the children. That's always hopefully true. Okay, in practice I know it's not universally always true. There are real monsters out there. But even as flawed as we are, human beings love their children. And ideally, children love their parents. And it's natural for a parent to boast of a child's accomplishments as they come through. Maybe it's grades, maybe it's something uh, accomplished in athletics or music. Maybe it's a sweetness of character. Maybe it's something humorous said. But parents are full of stories. The strongest families, though, exist where the children also have things to say about their parents. Where they can boast of their parents. I'm not talking about little ones who don't, don't know any better. But there's something about that, and it's happening in Corinth. Paul is saying, look, I'm hoping that as you've understood us in our ministry in part, you will come to fully understand so that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of Christ. There is an understanding and integrity, a mutual appreciation and pride, a depth of knowing. I long for connectedness. I long for honesty in relationship and integrity. I long for people to be of spirit that is like Christ. Willingness to let go. To forgive. 
to live in community and grace. Not proud, because we all make mistakes, but spirit-filled. I think if the church, and I'm not being critical of us, if the church is going to revolutionize the world, it will be because we've understood relationships in the context of integrity, God's integrity, and lived them that way. It won't be because we've hired a new evangelist or figured out a new doctrine. It won't be because we've decided to take a stand on a political issue. It'll be because we've become the feet of God's integrity, communicating constantly His love, His will, and its desire to save. The deacons will wait upon us for the offering at this time. Let us pray. Lord, whose faithfulness and integrity is evermore, we give you thanks this day and praise. For we would have and model your integrity in family, in life, in work, in service, in every facet of our existence, in Jesus' name, amen.